Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon everybody, it's me Dov from Forza Italian Football. I am not Connor Clancy, Connor Clancy is ill, so myself has had to step into the host's chair, but I'm joined by two wonderful people, Alistair McKenzie is in Rome and Vieri Capretta is in Milan to talk about the, the Serie A season that's just been. Alistair, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to get the the tap on the shoulder, the late season call up in uh, Connor's absence. So, uh, yeah, feels feeling a bit um, kind of a bit more rested now that the season's over. It's only been about what three three days, but um, yeah, it's I been think... a good three days though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> As it was, to be fair, the last time we seen you was at the Copa Final, me and Connor, and it was raining and it was horrid. Uh, and I think I spoke to you last weekend and the weekend before, and it's still raining. Is it still raining in Rome? That's what everybody uh, really it's, wants it's, to know. It's, uh, it's like the good day on at the moment, so it's kind of one day on, one day off. So, uh, oh. yeah, I've still not been to bed, by the way, since then. <laughs> Celebrations for all, and commiserations on the other side as well. Vieri Capretta, how's Milan? Let's cut all this beginning bit and get straight to it, because we want to talk Serie A. Milan's good. It's been raining uh, everywhere in Italy, I think. There's no way out of this. But yeah, you want to you give the listeners a, a, a feel of what it's like to be in Italy because we're hashtag FIF at the games. But we can't be that today. We can be hashtag FIF in Italy if you want. Get to give them the <laughs> yeah, feel. well, it's, it's not summer's... Like, winter's coming. And <laughs> staying for very long. Right, Can't okay. see summer anywhere near. And uh, feel a bit like... Fiorentina fans, Roma fans, and all the sad ones with all this rain. Yeah, well, you can tell neither of us are meteorologists because we're pretty crap at describing weather to people. So we'll, we'll <laughs> get on to it, Vieri. Um, right, so we're, we're looking at the Serie A season, uh, almost like a season review, if you want. 
Um, and we're going to start with some of the kind of highs and lows. Um, for me, Vieri, Alistair, the, the, probably the high of the season was, um, going recently, the last game of the season, because it was probably the most entertaining, the one I was at, which was Inter Empoli, which was probably one of the most entertaining games of football I've seen all year. Well, yeah, if you had to pick one moment of the, of the Serie A season, that was, that was definitely fun. If you had to pick a general high, then surely, you know, a mention for Atalanta has to be in there, no? Definitely. I think that from, from a, any, any kind of neutral Serie A fans would probably find that the most uplifting part of the season, that Atalanta have actually managed to go and kind of finish off the job because I think a lot of people would have been worried that they were going to choke right at the end. Uh, I know that. Like they did in the Copa. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get onto that, don't we? But um, yeah, I, I think that it was just so entertaining having that final day of the season. Probably not so much for you, Vieri, but having a relegation battle and the top four battle open on the final day. I can't really remember last time that happened. But then on top of that, to get the underdog coming out on top of the pile, I thought was. Yeah, I mean that's that's got to be the high of the season, right? I think so. Right. I mean, it, it was, I was trying to be a bit um, kind of going off the beaten track, but that that's obviously the Atalanta story is the greatest thing this season. Um, we'll we'll get into kind of like the the, the nitty gritty of it a bit later. But what about um, because Syria is pretty rubbish, right? And the season has been more for me more <laughs> negative than positive. And almost every sense. So, what about lows of the season? Like, what's been your, uh, Alistair? I'll start with you. What's 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 what kind of things have you hated? Uh, well, I don't know if we want to get straight into this, but definitely the fact that the racism continues to plague the league, and it's been a particularly ugly year for that. And it's been spread right across the league, right across the season from start to finish. Juve, Inter, Lazio, Cagliari, Roma, all at it. And it's not being dealt with strongly enough by the authorities, by the clubs. And we're just in this endless cycle of this being a a really sad, ugly part of Italian football that's not going away. So for me, that's been a really big low of the season. Um, I think it's been a really bad, bad year for that and goes to show that it's a continuous plague on the game, really. That's the thing. I don't think it's a low of this particular season. It's just <laughs> a, low. a low of Serie A, and it's. It, it is has bad. Been I, for I ages. think this has been a particularly bad season for it. Maybe, maybe you don't feel the same, but I don't know. I felt like this season's been particularly galling in terms of the way it's been dealt with and how many uh, incidents there have been, kind of high-profile incidents. Mm. I think. Yeah, I do agree with that. I have to add that's probably because the media have been uh, more reactive to it as well. It's been more talked about. Nothing's been done about it, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the whole situation positively, but I think some of the scenes that we've seen in terms of racist chants and all that have been around in Serie A Stadia for a while, but now they're being actually talked about a bit more. So, yeah, that's definitely one of the lows. I think that, that comes together with just the general way of no way forward from, uh, from the league. It's the same stagnation it's always been about in the past two or three years, just Juventus on its own has that European kind of international level as a club, but the league is just falling behind. 
Massively. That, 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 that was going to be my one, Vieri. I was just going to be like, the law of the season has been the fact that it's not really been a season because Juventus have had the title wrapped up since the start of the season. Napoli finished easily second. He had the little battle for fourth and then the relegation places have been sorted out pretty much since December as well. So it's been almost a, a season of nothingness, which has been quite disappointing after all the can excitement I, can I... summer. Can I throw in another one on to add to that, which is the Italian teams in Europe? Because <laughs> I think the one thing you want, at least if there's going to be no competitiveness at the top of the league, is that the teams at the top of the league are at least representing Serie A well in Europe. But that's that's not happened, obviously. Inter Napoli going out in the group stages of the Champions League, Roma going out to Porto, and then Juve going out to Ajax. I mean... It's it's not exactly ideal. It's just been rubbish, Alistair, isn't it? Everything it's just all been rubbish. That's yeah, it. but but it's not even like anyone's gone out with a bang, though. You know, it's Lazio went out to Sevilla. They did all right in those games, but you know they didn't score a single goal over two legs. You've got Milan getting knocked out in the group stages of the Europa League. You've got I don't know the way that Napoli and Inter. I mean, I suppose Inter's kind of spectacular collapse against PSV was a bit of a bang, but. I think the Ajax Juve game was the only one where you can say at least you got some kind of entertainment around their exit in terms of them but, being entertaining good but games. But if you think work. about the expectations for Juve, I think that's a big, almost the biggest disappointment of the season in Europe. I think that was quite that Juve were, were quite a low in that. If you think that they bought Cristiano Ronaldo to make that final step in Europe, then I do know that the Champions League is extremely difficult and every single detail matters. We we have to agree on that. So. It doesn't. It shouldn't surprise us too much that they didn't win the champ. You don't just buy Cristiano Ronaldo and automatically win it. Well, but at the same time, do. they like, lost. That, that's what happens. You buy Ronaldo, you win the Champions League. Vieri. That is the rule of the Champions well, League. Well, I mean, yeah, it has been for <laughs> for the past three years. But I mean, you think uh, all the money they spent on him, all the the media attention, and then they lost to a team that on paper was became one of the best of uh, of uh, European football, but was maybe the 10th at the beginning of the season on paper. It's not like they went out to Barcelona. I mean, I mean, mean, the Ajax team started their uh, Champions League campaign in July, remember. So they've been kind of, well, they were there all season. And and obviously with Juve, the the juggernaut, they were expected to almost mow through them. And they got a positive result in Amsterdam. So you thought uh, entering in, it'd be easy enough, but um, they got got schooled. And and that was the feeling after the game. Uh, And... Among the presses that Ajax gave Juve a lesson, um, right? So th- that will bring us nicely on. Then we'll start talking about Juve, right? So Juve were a disappointment in Europe, but in Syria it was almost the exact opposite. They completely and utterly dominated from the start, um, unbeaten at home, and they only really started losing games after they won the league. Um, <laughs> And as, 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 soon as, as soon as the league was officially wrapped up, they went on holiday um, and, get, and gave, kind of gave other teams a bit of a chance. But really, they were by far and away, for me, the, the best team. And I don't think we seen Juventus at their best either throughout the season. I think they played um, kind of all right, third gear. I don't think they really got out of third gear in Serie A at all. No. No, that's the thing uh, that struck me the most about this season with with Juve winning the league is that, especially on the back of last season where Napoli obviously pushed them so close, a really good Napoli team, and they had to be a really phenomenally good Juve team to actually come out on top with Napoli finishing on on 91 points. But this season, there's 
we'll get onto this, I'm sure, but I just feel like all the big teams have got worse, and I'd include Juve in that. And like you say, statistically, they've kind of blown everyone out of the water, but I've never really had the sense throughout the season that they've actually needed to be particularly good in order to do that. And I felt like so many times this season that I've just been watching the same game with Juve where they don't play particularly well, they don't really impress you, but they always find a way. And none of the teams seem to know really or have the mentality whatever it is to find a way to beat them and I think it's just been a bit too easy for them this season Um, obviously they deserve immense credit for winning the league so easily and so early you always do it's not an easy thing to do but I've I've just I've not been that impressed with them in comparison to the kind of years leading up to this I suppose I think they've not changed the squad that much in terms of what you expect from them but the main, the key players have gotten older. Yes, you bring in Cristiano Ronaldo, who essentially won the league, well, got the job done. Someone else would have done it for him if he wasn't there in terms of winning the Serie A, because they, they have so many options. They were so superior. I think one thing has to be said, this is uh, something I'm convinced about, is that what the players that make a team perform better are usually midfielders. And if there's one area of the pitch in which Juve have gotten worse in the past two or three seasons, I think, is midfield. Uh, they've not got mm, very technical players. I think Pjanic is, is pretty much the only one. And so in terms of that, you won't see them play as well as you perhaps could have with Pirlo Pogba and uh, Vidal and Marchisio a couple of years ago. So I think that's, that's played a part. And actually, I was writing up team of the season in <laughs> Serie A, and I really, really struggled to find good midfielders. It, yeah. At any level, in any team, there's not that many in the league at all. Uh, technical attacking midfielders, box-to-box midfielders that can do a bit of everything. Um, so in terms of that, I think that played a part, probably in Juve's exit in Europe as well. Uh, you kind of need to dominate control play um, in that area of the pitch, in the middle, at, at the heart of it. And I don't think they've had the players to do that. That's, I think, where Juve need to spend their money next. Yeah, uh, that's the thing about you. But it's difficult to say, kind of, to, to really properly analyze the season without getting into the like, kind of being really particular about every single player because they've been the best team in Italy by a country mile. They're disappointed in the Champions League. They need to improve in midfield, and then you're you're kind of sorted. Um, Car- yeah, but like, wait a minute. What about oh. having someone like Cristiano Ronaldo taken away space to other players? You know, you put a lot of money and investment on a 34-year-old essentially to win the Champions League. Mm. That doesn't work. Don't you think that overall Juve have looked worse also because they've been playing thinking, we've got Cristiano, we don't need to... You know, I'm thinking about players like Paulo Dybala, Douglas Costa disappeared completely. Well, Dybala's the one that suffered the most. I mean, he was key for Juve last season. And this season he's been a shadow of the player because of Ronaldo in particular. Like, I know, Alistair, you've seen Juve, I think, for the first time live a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned exactly the same thing that I've seen all season, is that Ronaldo just kind of struts about and doesn't do anything, and then expects <laughs> a, a, a inch-perfect pass uh, in the final third of the pitch for him to score, or for him to get the ball so he can have a shot from 25 yards. And then when it doesn't go his way, he gets oh, he starts moaning, pointing at where he wanted the ball to go, why it didn't go, and, and essentially acts like a huffy little kid. And obviously that's something that Juve haven't really had over the last couple of like few years, essentially since they started winning their titles again. 
Um, they've been a, a, a unit, a team. They've had Matri and Vucinic and players like that up front and they still managed to win Serie A. And even with Ronaldo, he's a player who he wants everything to be about him. And I think Allegri has kind of allowed on that. Whereas maybe at Real Madrid, obviously, it was a bit different. But I think Zidane, for example, could have told him, say, listen, relax, do this and do that. It'll be fine. And he's Zidane, so he's got a bit of power. Whereas I think Allegri can't tell Ronaldo what to do and what not to do. Uh, I mean, I also, I also think he's had moments of absolute brilliance, Ronaldo. I think it's a bit too simplistic to say he was just waiting for the ball to get the tap no, in. But obviously, it's a generalisation. If you want to analyse every single move he's done, we can do that. But it's going to take no, 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 no. I, but, but in I, general, I think, for most of the games, he struts around and doesn't do much. And I think he's literally killed some of the other players. That's why I think you can think you as a team have done worse because I think some of them have, ju- have just disappeared in terms of personality and character. Maybe Dybala is one of them, but others have also just said. You know, why bother in trying to play better football when we've got Cristiano and that's enough to win Serie A? Which and it was a, almost enough to make to it through in the Champions League as well. Mm. Well, then, then you get the game against Atletico, right? And that's, that's kind of the moment that everyone says, this is why they sign Ronaldo. But the question I've got is that, is that enough? If you, if you consider how much money they're spending on him, I mean, it, it's it's... Ridiculous! It's what about seven times more than than the next highest player in the league. I mean, his his wages alone, I think, outspend a lot of the clubs in Syria. Mm. So, if, if you're talking about that investment for that club, uh, I I'm, I wouldn't go as far as saying that he's he's been a a, a failure for Juventus this season at all. Because look, he scored over twenty goals in the league. He's single handedly got them through that. Um, that Champions League tie against Atletico, but, but is is it, but is this contribution enough, considering how much they're investing in him? If he does the same kind of thing next season, is is that a worthwhile investment? Is that money well spent? And I suppose you can also point to the influence off the pitch because everything that everyone says about Ronaldo is also <laughs> always like mega positive, and you, <laughs> you kind of feel like it has to be and. A lot of players are kind of in awe of him in a way, but he is said to have a great influence on the dressing room and he can pass mm. on experience. And that, that kind of influence could be a really positive thing on Juve as well as all, obviously all the commercial benefits that they get from signing him too. But I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying one way or the other yet because I want to see a, a kind of second season first, but I think it's a valid question considering how much money is being spent on him, whether or not that what he's done on the pitch this season is enough to justify I, I th- it. I think what he's done is fine. Like in terms, of, if you look at all his numbers, obviously it's when yeah, Serie I agree, the player I agree. of the season, he got player of the season, and they based it all on statistics. His numbers are fine. The problem is, like what Vieri said, is that he takes away from Dybala, from Mandzukic, from Douglas Costa, from Pjanic, from all these other guys whose numbers would probably be higher in terms of everything, goals and assists and whatever else. Um, but he's he almost kind of sucks that from them by the way that he wants the team to play or he wants the way the team to play around him, which before you didn't really have that. Everybody would chip in, whereas this season it's almost like, ah, we've got Ronaldo, it'll be fine, or give it to Ronaldo, or he demands the ball as well, which is a problem. The free I think kicks. Whoever, yeah, well, free, exactly. Like, Pjanic is a much better free kick taker than Ronaldo, but Ronaldo wants to take all the free kicks. It's like, come on, Cristiano take it easy but we'll see well, obviously we'll see what happens in the summer with the new coach and stuff like that and if they can get somebody in that, that could kind of 
raise the level of the rest of the team so that they get similar numbers to Cristiano as well. Um, right, quickly on Napoli, because the, uh, this is another one, disappointing, right? Obviously, with Sarri last season, their best ever points finish in the history of Napoli went super close to the Scudetto against Juve. Carlo Ancelotti comes in with all the experience and the European experience as well, kind of a big name coach. And this is another one. It's been a bit meh, to be perfect. It's been honest. meh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say disappointing. I wouldn't yeah. say disappointing. Yeah, it's not disappointing. It's just like meh. All right, okay. Well, second. you said disappointing a moment ago, my friend. What? Disapp- well, it's a wee bit disappointing that they couldn't have done a little bit more. Come on. Well, I only think they they could have tried and do a bit more in uh, in Europe. That's it. And, right, so it's disappointing they, in Europe then. There we go. But then they faced <laughs> Arsenal, who are in you know they are in Real Madrid, but they they're a team that in a double leg tie can beat Napoli. They're they're on a similar level, I think. And, a and team it's that just can not beat, get beat off Crystal Palace and Wolverhampton Wanderers the week after as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. But then. <laughs> But then again, I think Napoli have dropped points in, in Serie A in, uh, in supposedly easy games as well. So I think I, I would judge um, the squad and the coaches of Napoli and Arsenal as a whole to be similar. So it's, it's not that bad to, to be knocked out. I think they didn't try hard enough, Napoli. They could have done a bit better uh, against Arsenal. But it's not the being knocked out in itself that I criticise. It's more the way it happened. In Serie A, a lot of a lot of people thought Napoli would have come out of the top four. If you think about what the media thought about Ancelotti uh, coming in, yeah, that's positive. But then Napoli didn't buy anybody last summer, pretty much, apart from Fabian Ruiz, who was a bit of a surprise, and and you end up with a very comfortable second place. So I think the job was done quite well by Napoli overall. I, th- I think actually I, I would go as far as to say this has been a good season for Napoli because mm-hmm. I, th- I think in order to judge this season you have to think back to last summer and what what exactly. was being said about Napoli last summer is that what's happening, what's coming up ahead is that it's a season of transition, you're moving from uh, you know Sarri ball into Carlo Ancelotti, it's, it's a big, big, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big transition in terms of the style of play. Uh, this team has been coached to a very specific style of football for the last three years. It's also lost its its linchpin and Jorginho in the midfield. And if you think about actually the preseason predictions a lot of people are making, Gazetta's one said that Napoli were going to finish down in fifth. So the fact that they finished so comfortably in second place, I think a lot of people have looked at that now and said, well, they were always going to finish in second because they did so well last season. That's not the case. That's not how people were looking at this last summer. You have to think about actually how big a transition has been made. And as a transition season, I think it's been a good one. I think that the one thing that they could have done better, and obviously they they did all right in the Champions League, but they, they came so close and it would have been nice to see them take that extra step. In terms of the Arsenal game, I think they actually suffered in those knockout games from the fact that they had second place sewn up so early on because it's almost like, what you're saying about Juve, when you don't really have that competition left in the league and your domestic uh, weekend-to-weekend games, if you're not fighting tooth and nail in those, which they didn't really need to by a certain point, becomes harder to throw yourself into those knockout games and, and do a better job. So I think that considering, like you mentioned Fabian Ruiz, I think he's made a good impact. I think Eric Milik has, has had a, a very promising season considering the injury problems he's had to fight back from to get there. I think that there's it's been a kind of 
year of highs and lows for them. But overall, considering what the expectations were of them from a lot of quarters last summer, I think they've done they've done well. Let's not forget if if Milik does score that goal at Anfield, you know they've knocked they've knocked the finalists out of the Champions League. It's it's that that easy. Mm. So I would I would say they've had a, a fairly good season. With what happens with a lot of these judgments is obviously if you start well and you finish not so well. I'm not going to go as far as say that they finished badly, but they didn't finish as well as the, the first half of the season. Then obviously that's going to change the, the people's judgments and, and criticisms. But I think if you, all things considered, I do agree with you, Alistair, they, they've been good. And to properly judge Ancelotti, I think we have to do what we'll do with Cristiano and give him a couple of seasons uh, to, to you know really understand if it was a good investment and criticize or praise eventually. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think next season is the, is the judgment season, isn't it? Because you, you can't really say you need more than one season to have the transition. So he's had his transition, he's brought in his own players, he's um, he's put his style into this team and made the changes he wanted to make and make the experiments he wanted to make, like playing senior up top. And I think that they'll, they'll want better from him next season than this season. But like I say, as a transition year, I think it's pretty good. There we go. Right. Um, we'll, we'll quickly move on from Napoli because we're, we're going to be here for about five hours if we do every team. We love um, talking about Serie A. We, yeah, well, we do. We do. We're masochists in that sense. Um, right. So next up, third place team, Atalanta from Bergamo, Ladea. And guess what, everybody? Surprise! Cora Clancy is here to talk about Atalanta because he's done <laughs> a wee idiot. <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't want to do anything else. He's like, oh, you're talking about Atalanta. I'll be there. Hello, Conor Clancy. We're talking about Atalanta. How amazing are Atalanta? That's not quite how the conversation went, though, is it? Well, not really. We'll, we'll, we'll pretend. We'll pretend. Okay, we'll pretend. So how good how are Atalanta? I... How good are Atalanta? How good are they? Third best team in Italy. The best or second best in 2019, I think. Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure, because, I mean, it was great what they did in the Coppa Italia final, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you got there before I did. <laughs> How did Fiorentina get onto the Coppa Italia, Fieri? I'm not they, a they, they a professional. Fieri Capretta, professional. Yeah, there you go. Wait, Connor Clancy, come on then. All right, what's the question? How good are Atalanta? How amazing are they? Well, they're very tell, good. Tell, tell us about them. How did they manage to do this ridiculous thing? They just scored a lot of goals, didn't they? Um, it's like the culmination of everything Gasparini's been doing over the last few years just kind of became a more exaggerated version of itself this year. And it's strange because when you look at the first, I think it was probably eight games of the season, with the exception of that match against Roma where everything went a bit mad, they couldn't score to for anything. And that was the big problem. They were dominating teams, creating chances. Zapata wasn't scoring, Gomez wasn't scoring, and no one was putting the ball into the net. And then it all just happened so suddenly. I think they put five or six past someone, probably Kievo. Kievo, yeah, yeah. I remember. I was there. This, this did not happen. Nobody knows what you're talking <laughs> about. But then after that, everyone just believed, oh, we can actually score goals now. And then they just kept coming and coming and coming. And obviously they ended the season as the, the top scorers in Serie A by... I think they scored 77 goals. 77 goals. The most goals Atalanta have ever scored in but a single correct me, season. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Ilicic miss most of those early games? 
because I think he was uh, he was truly a factor. I criticized him a lot in the past, but you know he's always had qualities. He's found consistency. The moment he came back to a regularly a regular started position, Zapata started scoring, mm. and it was all great from then onwards. Apart from that Coppa Italia final, obviously. What always happens with when Ilicic plays is that Gomez gets that little bit more freedom. So when Ilicic isn't there, teams just double up on Gomez and he's absolutely destroyed. Whereas when Ilicic is there, they have almost a little bit more to think about. So Gomez gets that little bit more freedom and then he becomes more important as well as Ilicic causing problems because I know Ilicic gets a lot of love and absolutely adore him. He's class when he is on it, but he still does lack that consistency. You know what I was thinking, which this this isn't really analysis, but more of a general note, which is that it's it's crazy to think that this is the same season in which Andreas Cornelius has missed a penalty to, mm-hmm. to get knocked out of, of the Europa League qualifiers. But what I was wanting to, to ask you, Connor, is do you think that Atalanta were actually helped in a way by the fact that you went out of Europe so early? Like, given the depth of the squad... Is is that too easy a thing to say? Or I, I don't think so. No, I think it's it's spot on. There's no way they would have finished third if they were in the Europa League. And I tweeted as soon as they got knocked out of the Europa League. Oh well, this means they'll qualify for the Champions League because they had a little bit of depth up top at the start of the season because Emiliano Ragoni was there and he looked like he was going to be a really good signing. Him, Ilicic and Papu playing behind Zapata. It could have been. Really, really good. It didn't quite work out. And then when there was no European football, it meant that Rigoni's minutes were limited and he ended up leaving. So the, the squad is a little bit more threadbare than it was at the start of the season, just because of his departure, really. But no, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say they, they wouldn't be in the Champions League next season if they had played in the Europa League this. Can I just add uh, some stats on uh, Ilicic? He missed the first three Serie A games. Then he played 52 minutes. Then he was a sub for the following four, playing a maximum of half an hour. And then he started against Kiev, scoring three goals. And from then onwards, uh, made the difference he made. So that was just to, to cap off what we were saying earlier. I think he genuinely made the difference. And I do agree with you guys. If they were going to play in the Europa League, you know, I think they would have still gotten a European spot. Maybe not quite third, though. No, I'd agree with that. I think they would have easily finished in the top, what, seven? Quite nicely. Yeah, six, seven. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a problem. But yeah, him and, him and Gomez together, I think Gomez has 11 assists, which is more than anyone else in Serie A. Uh, Ilicic has seven, then Gomez has, I think, what is it, eight goals, and Ilicic has 12. So they do hit very, very similar figures. But I think one of them does it a little bit more consistently than the other, whereas Ilicic will score a hat-trick every once in a while, as Gomez will score one goal, one goal, one goal, one goal. And he's what? always creating chances. Well, one thing, uh, one thing I think Gasparini's done so well this season, in particular, is, is the way that he's used Divan Zapata. Because obviously, we've just been talking about Ilicic and Gomez, and he's the third part of that that forward line. And he's uh, he's always had potential. I think you know when when he was playing at Sampdoria at Napoli, you thought there's there's a player there, but with his back to goal, he never looked that that effective to me. So what what would you say Gasparini's done? in order to, to get him to become a kind of prolific striker? Because I was just looking at the uh, up-to-stats that Dov sent us around, and Zapata, only Messi scored more goals than Zapata in 2019, which is absolutely incredible if you consider that he's never particularly prolific before now. With this, I'm not so sure that it's actually something Gasparini has done. 
And that seems strange because Gasparini does change players' careers. Everyone that comes through at Atalanta or gets a second chance at Atalanta under Gasparini, they do well. But I think with Zapata, it was more just a case of him having the two guys behind him giving him so many chances. Because he's always having chances. And for the first few games, he he was awful. He really couldn't score. He was basically just an, a more expensive Andrea Batania who could hold the ball up, create chances from everyone else, but it couldn't score for his life. And there was a time at the start of the season where it looked like Musa Barrow should be playing ahead of him. But to be fair, Gasparini stuck with him and the goals did start to come then. But it's easy to forget because of how good he's been since December. Until December, I think he had only scored one or two goals in Serie A. Um, it's just been the second half of the season where he's been hitting a crazy run of form. Hmm. I think there was the, the game against Inter um, at the San Siro and Zapata was suspended for it because he was stupid and got booked against Bologna like the day before when Atalanta were like 5-0 up after 10 minutes. And you could see how important it was when he wasn't there because you had Ilicic and then kind of Gomez. Uh, I think maybe Pasilic was playing as well. And there was just this massive hole where Zapata should have been and Atalanta didn't know what to do because they're like, wait a minute, what what the hell's going on? We've not got a big Duvan up there. What are we going to do? And Atalanta should have won that. And I think if Zapata was playing, Atalanta would have won that game because they were yeah, I'd better agree with than that. Italy. And you just seen the massive Duvan-Zapata-shaped hole at the, the, the point of the attack. Um, One thing yeah. that needs to happen for next season is Zapata's probably going to leave, but they need two strikers like that. Musabaro is a completely different option, but they... They just need two players in the mould of Zapata. So when Zapata's been out for whatever reason this season, I've just been like wishing they had Andrea Patania because he could do the same job, just not score the goals, but he would be able to create the chances for other people. Whereas Muzabaro is completely different. He likes to play on the shoulder. He's not very good at holding the ball up. His first touch is horrendous, but he can finish every once in a while. This season, he didn't get as many minutes, so he only scored. I think it might have been just one goal in Serie A and a couple in the Europa League, but he's a completely different option. And if Zapata stays, they need someone else similar to him. And if he goes, they need two players like that, I think. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do this summer because they will have a little bit of money and Gasparini is about to extend his contract until 2022. So he said he was only going to stay if him and the club were seeing eye to eye about arrivals. So you would imagine Percassi has promised them that some of the Champions League money will go towards bringing in new players. Well, that's the thing. They're in the Champions League group stage. It's not like before where you'd have qualifying rounds so you couldn't do anything. Like you've seen with Udinese, probably the best example of that. And Italy, Lazio actually have done it a few times as well, where they wait and see if they get into the, the groups. But Atalanta are there, so you've got guaranteed money coming in. So you need to spend it. And obviously what happened when they are in the Europa League proper last time in the groups, everybody thought they were going to get pumped off all the teams and then did quite well and should have beat Dortmund as well. So Yeah, well, the, the big boost is they might even be playing the Champions League in Bergamo, Dov. Do you see this? Oh, Christ. Do you see Percassi? We'll see. We'll see. We'll wait until the new season if they're playing the Champions League in Bergamo. They're more likely to play... Like The Bentegodi has got more chance of playing Champions League than, than Atlanta's stadium. Percassi, had, he had a little wink. He was asked outside a big park the other night if the Champions League could ever be played in Bergamo and he 
gave a little smile yeah, and away. Five years' said, time after they built the stadium. Yeah. So he go. said we'll see in August. Yeah. He didn't say year though. We'll see. Fair. We'll see. Right. Let's move on. Inter. Inter made the Champions League as well, and this was amazing. Inter against Empoli on Sunday was it was a cup final. Empoli needed to win to make sure they avoided relegation. Inter needed to win to make sure that they got into the Champions League. Um, and then the, the final, what, 10 minutes of this uh, were crazy. <laughs> Obviously, I know, uh, Alistair, you were in Rome watching the De Rossi party and Connor, you were in uh, Ferrara watching Spal. Um, and Vieira, you were, you, were, you were being depressed by Fiorentina, so you didn't get to witness this firsthand, this absolute... I didn't, I didn't get to witness Inter. it. It was crazy. Firsthand, but I can, I can guarantee you that in the press stand at the Frankie, <laughs> nobody was watching the game we had there and then. Everyone had the TV on the other channel watching uh, Inter against Empoli. Every single person. The news were coming in. It was no, nobody cared about seeing the ball being passed from Petzella to Veritu, onto Biraski, <laughs> back to Crescito, and then again in loop for the final 20 minutes of that game. So we were watching the same game you were watching, I'll be honest. Yeah, it was good fun. Like I looked for a minute and play, we're going to do it. Um, I think it was at Traore, got the tap in. Um, I what with like 14 minutes left and you thought, that's it. That's the goal. That's going to destroy Inter. That's going to be the goal that keeps Empoli in, in Serie A. And then Rajon Angelan scored and then there was the melee at the end. And I think for me, Inter, I've got to thank Handanovic for making. I think he made about two or three saves in that ten-minute period at the end, um, which would otherwise have meant Inter would be playing Europa League football. Guys, season. do you think that is Samir Handanovic one of the most underrated goalkeepers in Europe? No, because, because he's, he's been the best brilliant for in Syria, so long. So he's not that underrated, Clancy. Come on. But no one really appreciates him as much as they should. He's been so I good don't. for so long. I just don't appreciate him when he looks at the ball just going in a meter away from him. <laughs> and he's done that in about 10 occasions this season. I don't know. I think he's quite suspect with the ball at his feet. But for a team like Inter, as a shot stopper, he's phenomenal. Mm, I agree. I like him. He's, he's good. I mean, I think he's in that uh, level of goalkeepers who's got, you know, a couple of things that are always, uh, he always gets wrong. And a couple he does really really well so I think they're good for a third fourth placed Inter uh, I'm not sure he's you know Allison level but uh, or Buffon level but of course we're talking about the absolute excellence of that position yeah the fact that you're even mentioning those two it says how good Hernanovic is mm-hmm. to be honest uh, right. um, Inter Caesar in general right because the <laughs> start and we can come on to the players later. The star, obviously, they they bought Politano, Keita Balde, Rajan Angolan, De Vrij came in as well, um, Asamoa. So they had almost like a restructure in the summer, and everybody was quite excited. People, oh, this centre could could challenge Juve. This centre guaranteed Champions League. The um, anti-Juve. Yeah, the, yeah, they were going they were going to be the team, um, and things started so well, and then they got knocked out the Champions League, and then Icardi decided to be a dick, and then it all went south from there. And it's been pretty much going south all season until they just scraped in at the end. Alistair, um, mm-hmm. what what the hell is going on at that team? Can what you, a captain, you know? eh? What, what a leader. Captain, <laughs> captain leader, leader legend. legend. Uh well, it's it's just ne- it's, it's just never as simple as it should be, it seems, with Inter. Um, I mean, they did get the job done in terms of finishing the top four, but they have had a worse season than they did last season. Um, 
I don't think many Inter fans will be particularly impressed with what's happened. I don't think many Inter fans will be particularly impressed with Luciano Spalletti. And I, I don't know, it's, it's been a, such a, a, a kind of PR disaster, really. I mean, I feel like the whole Icardi situation could have been dealt with a lot better than it was. Obviously, he didn't help the situation. I feel like Spalletti probably could have dealt with the situation uh, a bit more calmly at times. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's I, I don't really know how. I don't really know how to review the season other than just saying it's it's what you kind of expect by now from Inter, really, isn't it? Is it too be... much to say that Inter have failed this season? It's just Milan failed worse. No, no, no. Let's not forget Inter were in a Champions League position for the whole season. But that's the the minimum expectation was for Inter to finish third this year. They should have finished second. I don't think so. I think uh, Napoli have a, a squad which is as good. Then second or third is down to a lot of things. I think they were a bit disappointing in the Champions League, considering well, yeah, how well they had done PSV, uh, in the first five games. Bottling it at the end was disappointing. In the same way as Eintracht, I think, are, are a fairly good side. You can lose to Eintracht in a double-legged fixture, but not the way they went out basically not playing at all at the San Siro. I think what was disappointing about Inter is if you think about, obviously, the expectations. So, whereas for Napoli, everyone expected them to do worse than what they did. Um, Inter, you know, you bring in all those players. I think it says it all, really, that Nainggolan was definitely a very disappointing player this season. We all expected him to do more, yet he scored a lot of very important goals for Inter. And in a way, he was their best midfielder with Brozovic. So that says so much about how the rest of the team performed. There we go. Uh, it's just Inter are crazy. That's it. Before... Right. Tough, 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 tough. You were there. Um, is Keita Balde the most stupid player in Serie A? <laughs> I don't know. Icardi is. Sorry. <laughs> They're both perfectly placed at Inter. Yeah, together. well, I think that was maybe a bit of a disappointment um, for Inter. Um, but yeah, he, he, well, he should have finished it, but Inter should have had it finished before then anyway. Um, right, Milan. This has been fun. It's <laughs> almost as like you get you get lots of fun at Inter, it's crazy. And then uh, you get lots of, even more fun at Milan because it's just a joke. Obviously, now we we, we know they've sacked Gattuso and Leonardo's left. Or, or sorry, not sacked Gattuso, they mutual left by a mutual say. agreement, whatever. You can read into that what you will. Um, personally, I think this was a stupid decision from Milan because I think Gattuso has done amazingly well with a rubbish team. I think yeah, we've always been saying best. throughout the season that the squad is just bad. The squad, the squad's crap. It doesn't. They can get whoever they want in next season. <laughs> if you've got a squad that relies on Suso as the main creative fulcrum, um, <laughs> you're you're just you're on a hide into nothing. Suso's rubbish, and they should get rid of him. If anybody <coughs> anybody comes in here, ten euros here, take them. See you later terrible um and i think they've done all right they've not played particularly brilliantly in my opinion i think gattuso should have changed the formation to a 4-2-3-1 because i think that suits the squad better um but his insistence on playing 4-3-3 i think didn't help and they're just they're they're a mediocre team and fifth sixth seventh is about as good as you're going to get with them in my opinion completely agree yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a, I've got a couple of things I want to say about Milan. <laughs> um, <laughs> More for Alistair. Well, I think that because 
I I tweeted yesterday about the fact that they've yet again decided you know decided to go down the route of ripping things up and starting from scratch again, hmm. and then pointed out the fact that Gattuso's just taken them to their best league finish in six years, which which kind of surprises well it surprised me I don't know why because Milan have been bang average for quite a while, but I suppose you can look at it in one way you can say this team. But at the start of the season, should had a top four objective, no doubt. And to not finish in the top four is a failure. To finish behind a team with Atalanta's resources, <laughs> which should be deemed a, a failure for a club like that. But then again, he has improved them. They're, they're, I think their two biggest uh, points totals in, in that period as well have been under Gattuso. Mm. Like you say, the squad isn't up to much. They've signed poorly and... Well, I think bringing in Piontek and Paquette in January certainly helped. But rather than, I don't know, I mean, it feels like Gazidis did that big interview in Gazeta today and he's talking about their plans for the future and saying that kind of the days of signing signing big players are, are over and they're focusing well, on getting fair, themselves. They've been over since it. like 2010. Like when you'd have Galliani trying to get free transfers and signing Rami and, and Alex and players like that. I mean, that's doesn't stop the papers writing last summer that they're about to spend 100 million on Milinkovic Savage, but um, but, but yeah, they I mean, spent wait a minute, but they did spend a lot of money two like, years ago. Yeah, they spent a lot of the, what 200 well, million. They spent a lot of money ago. in January. It's about it's about how you spend the money, really. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, we've seen that with Atalanta, obviously, less resources, you do better. Obviously, the coach makes a huge difference there. But think about how Inter have spent the the much less money they've spent compared to AC Milan in the past couple of years. Even Nainggolan was a better signing than most of the players AC Milan signed. I, I, just, just to finish off what I was, I was saying, I, I think that basically the, the, point, the point of this is that I'm still a bit torn about how I feel about it. Because on the one hand, I think that Gattuso has actually done a pretty good job. But on the other hand, I've always had doubts about him as a coach and I'm not entirely sure he is actually the right person to take him forward. Whereas Leonardo, I think you can quite rightly say hasn't done a particularly good job in the market, despite uh, Gazidis' praise for him. So, I don't know, it's, it, leaves, it leaves me a bit torn as to how, how, to, how to kind of review this season. I completely agree with you on Gattuso. I, I don't know what Milan were under him, and I, I can't quite work out if it's his fault or not. Because, like you say, before Milan, his coaching career didn't exactly impress. But at Milan, he kind of did what you'd expect them to do, if not a little bit better. With the squad he had there, but well, if you look at like what, what when when he came in, right, all the players basically said that the training sessions were much better, much more interesting, much more intense, and it feels like they're actually working. Like, and and it's very very rare that you'll get former like players criticizing a former coach. They'll they'll do their media training and go, oh yeah, oh we can't say anything there. Whereas I think uh, I can remember at least Kessier and Chalanoglu came out and said that under Montella, like the training sessions were rubbish. And I think that's Gattuso's obviously. You, you can tell with the type of personality is like what he's going to do in a training session is going to be like you need to work or you need to leave. And I think, for example, like with Kalinic and players like that, uh, even Bakayoko as well. I think he's 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 authoritative, and I think that's something Milan need. For me, they they need somebody who's going to because they don't have any leaders on the pitch. There's no, none of that. None of that team are what you would call a leader. Um, and he is the leader and I think that's something Milan need and he at least has a sense of where he wants to go maybe he doesn't get there 
but at least he, he's got an idea of what he wants to do. And th- yeah, sorry, go on. I, I think that he did actually. Um, I, I disagree with Connor, but there, and that I, I do think he did give that team an identity. But I just don't think it's the identity that Milan want, which is that they're a back foot team, they're a counter attacking team, and their strength is kind of in soaking up pressure and hitting rather than kind of dictating the play. And when they did try to do that, they weren't as good at it as they were when they were playing on the back foot and trying to spring counter-attacks. It's the impression I always got from watching them. But for a team like AC Milan, who see themselves as uh, as a team who should be competing for the Scudetto every year, I don't know if they want to be playing as a counter-attacking team against sides that they still regard, rightly or wrongly, as inferior to them. Who actually thinks that Milan should be competing for a Scudetto anymore, though? Is it just their fans? Milan fans, yeah. That's not what they are, is it? They're Champions League hopefuls. Well, I mean, tra- tradition and history says that Milan should be you know, kind of uh, Juventus level, but it's going to take a while to get back to that. I, I don't know if you've seen Gazidis and his interview to Gazeta um, today. He was basically saying the risk is we're going to have another Arsenal here. <laughs> and but they're already as Arsenal, well as, They don't win anything. Exactly. No, that's the thing. <laughs> Financially, Gazidis will, will do an amazing job at AC Milan, but I don't think anyone can expect silverware anytime soon. There you go. There you go. Here's one, right? Well, fin- just to finish on Milan, in the second half of the season, only Atalanta got more points than Milan. There you go. There you go. Best team in Italy. See, so the second, so Milan are the second best. Atalanta are the best. Um, right. Moving on for a bit further down, um, we're going down to Alistair's patch now because we've got Roman Lazio to talk about. Um, yeah. Alistair, you said a number of times to me that with Di Francesco, you just didn't really get what he was trying to do um, in terms of I, I would always put to you that he's like Zem and Light and you're like well he's, he's not even that, he's rubbish so, <laughs> so what, you know, what, what happened with Di Francesco? I mean, do you think he should, they should have stuck with him and they kind of tried to let him get his idea of this attacking, free-flowing amazing football out or do you think they were right to, to get rid of him and, and get a more pragmatic coach like Ranieri in? Well, I think that Di Francesco was dealt a pretty bad hand over the summer. Um, I don't think he got the best out of it. I mean, that was the price they paid, I suppose, for getting to the semi-finals of Champions League was that, yet again, they're they're selling their key players. And I think, you know, you can't really blame them so much for the sales of Nangolan and Streetman, who are kind of players who are getting on a bit, and they got good money for them. And Allison went as well. The problem was that the signings they made... Uh, Di Francesco just didn't know what to do with them all, especially the midfield. And for me, the the midfield was his downfall. Defensively, they were very, very weak as well. But these games with Roma under Di Francesco this season were just so chaotic and you never knew what was coming next. Um, They were never safe. I mean, they're 2-0 up against Cagliari with five minutes to go, drew 2-2. 2-0 up at home to Chievo, drew 2-2. Um, 3-1 down within 45 minutes against Atalanta at home and came back to draw 3-0. And obviously what really did it for him was the 7-1 defeat to Fiorentina, 3-0 defeat to Lazio, and then the Champions League exit all coming in a row, and there was no way back from there. But by that point, he was at about stage three of the of the fan protests against him. Can so, I just yeah. say one thing about the midfield? Just, just tap into that. I don't think... Selling Nangolan and Strootman means you're changing two-thirds of your midfield. Knowing De Rossi is a, a year older means you're essentially changing the whole thing. It's not easy to get results straight away with a, diff, with a completely different midfield. 
going back to what I was saying earlier about Juve, the midfield is the heart of the team, I believe. And it does make a huge difference to have people who know each other and have been playing together compared to completely new faces who have to be tested as well. Nobody knew if Nzunzi, Cristante were really up to the level that was expected from them, and they haven't been so far either. So sorry well, this, to interrupt you. Just... No, no, no. That's, no, that's a good point. And this, this is the thing, essentially, is that that was the main crux that Di Francesco couldn't solve, was what to do with this new team, this new squad. And the midfield, he was trying out all sorts of different things. And the problem was, if he tried to play Nzonzi and De Rossi together as two holding midfielders, it wasn't mobile enough. Um, if he tried to then play, a, the, the original idea was actually to bring in Pastore as a mezzala, play him on the right side or the left side of a, of a midfield three. And they quickly realized that Pastore doesn't have the work rate or the pace to play or the physicality to play in that role. And you kind of question what they were thinking all along in terms what of trying to bring in What does Pastore have? Well, Pastore is a number 10, so the, the games he has actually impressed in this season is when they've changed to a 4-2-3-1 instead of a 4-3-3 and played him in that hole. And it's been generally the kind of easier, low-pressure games where he's actually done a decent job. That's but he's I mean. also he's had a not, lot of injury he's problems. Not great, so, is he? No. So, I mean, this was, for me, this was essentially the reason Di Francesco ended up getting sacked was the fact that he was handed this brand new midfield and was kind of putting square pegs in round holes a bit and eventually settled on putting Cristante in as a kind of holding midfielder, which isn't necessarily his role, um, naturally. And uh, I don't know, I think a lot of questions have to be asked of Monchi because that these were Monchi transfers, don't forget, who's another guy who's disappeared. <laughs> they were asked Alistair and he, he, he buggered off very quickly when questions were asked. Does that not carry on until now, though, as well? Because we've got... This isn't a Monchi decision, but De Rossi's contract isn't getting renewed, so that means there will be more change there and one less familiar face. There's going to be a new coach coming in, and surely a new coach coming in could do with having someone like De Rossi there at Roma, especially given how many exactly. young players they have too. You it's could just, have a whole podcast just on, on uh, that decision the, on the De Rossi. The decision to yeah. let De Rossi go seems absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely staggering decision. I don't know. What they're thinking, nobody seems to agree with it. Um, well, Alistair, one thing I want to I want to chip you on something that you maybe told us in conference, but the podcast is going to know. You said that kid in Rome. I will maybe not say Rome or the club itself, but in Rome, people are a bit miffed about Palotta's kind of approach to running the football team. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this has been the uh, the main bitterness to the end of this season for Roma has been anti Palotta. Uh, he's the one that is being blamed for De Rossi's departure. The the club were already, I mean, the fans were already not happy with him because under his ownership, when he first came in, he set these targets of winning the Scudetto within a few years, and he, they've not really seen anything like that. Um, they've not seen any trophies at all under Palotta's ownership. <laughs> so you've got the situation where he's letting a club legend go, and then he's not even turning up to the stadium to say goodbye to him. Uh, the fans aren't happy about the fact that he, he runs the club, operates the club from, from Boston, never sets foot in Rome, and doesn't really seem to understand what the fans want, what the identity of the club is, and is running things kind of a bit haphazardly. So, yeah, there's a, a massive, massive uh, anti-Palotta <laughs> feeling in, among the Roma fans. Cool, right. Um, 
Let's go to the other team in Rome. Uh, Lazio, they won the Coppa Italia, Alistair. Did you know that? Connor, did you know that? Lazio won the Coppa Italia. Do you remember No, I, miss, I missed that one. I've got I a programme for one. you. You need to remember me. <laughs> Um, so Lazio what finished 8th behind Torino behind Roma behind Atalanta behind Milan but they won the Coppa Italia so it's all good Vieri right well I mean it's it's silverware it's a trophy exactly that's what I mean like, would you rather finish 7th and not win the Coppa Italia or win the Coppa Italia and finish 8th you'd rather win I mean I would have rather if I were an Atalanta fan I would have rather won the Coppa Italia and than finish 4th for <laughs> Because because it is a trophy, it's something to celebrate. Don't get me wrong, obviously, Atalanta specifically, they've never been in the Champions League, so it is something extra special. But say a team like, um, uh, you Sampere. know, Napoli even, Napoli. Having, a, having a trophy is something completely different to, to just qualifying for, for another competition. So I think that basically saves the season for Lazio. And, and, and Felipe Caicedo, Alistair, he saved the season for Lazio, really, right? What a guy. Well, you know... <laughs> Salvador. There's, there's, I think, only been three players in the league who have scored more goals in 2019 than Caicedo. So, uh, yeah, the Salvador, like you always say. <laughs> Alistair, you watch Lazio every week, and every time I've seen them, I just, with or without Lucas Leiva, they're a different team. I've... Yeah. When he's there, he's just he is everything for that team, and I didn't think I'd be saying this when he signed, but he's he's so so good. Why can't they be the same team without him? Like because he's not the most gifted footballer in the world. He's very intelligent because he is literally the last line of defence. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, the way, especially since January, what Simone Inzaghi did, um, the team wasn't wasn't firing. Luis Alberto was bang out of form. And the team he, he chose last season, which was uh, Alberto kind of playing on the shoulder of Immobile, he'd been sticking with but hadn't been working. So what he did was he changed the midfield to what became known as the, the fantasy Lazio model, which is basically playing Milinkovic and Alberto in alongside um, Lucas and then having Correa up top alongside Immobile. So you've basically got four incredibly attack-minded players on, on the pitch at the same time. But yeah, I mean, the, it's just simply the fact that Lucas is the only player in that midfield a lot of the time. So if you've got your wing backs pushing forwards, you've always got those two central midfielders pushing forwards. And all it takes quite often to cut through Lazio is one pass out of defence. And suddenly it's uh, Lucas and the back three, not always all of the back three, against the wave of attack that's approaching. So, yeah, I mean, the uh, the stats with and without um, Lucas and the team, I don't have them on me, but I remember seeing earlier this season that the, the kind of average points that Lazio get with and without him, there's a massive um, difference. And I think the club hoped that Milan Badel would be that guy last summer who could be the kind of stand-in for Lucas, who could give him a bit of rest and provide the, the, the quality in that position. Um, but Badel's really struggled to make any sort of impact and isn't nearly mobile enough to, to cover the ground and do the job that Lucas does. So I think he would be if he was playing more often from what I remember. He, he's also a very smart player like Lucas. Obviously less defensive, may perhaps got a bit more quality, uh, but ha getting someone like Badel in the team and hardly ever playing him is just counterproductive. Uh, but then again, Lucas was so good and so crucial that whenever he was fit, he should play. So I think that was, uh, that was, he was really the difference maker for Lazio this season. One, one thing as well, which um, 
I think most Lazio fans, apart from the Cobb, I feel that there has been a bit of a disappointment from what I have seen on the social media. But for me, the biggest disappointment has been Chiro Immobile because last season he couldn't bloody stop scoring. And this season, it's almost as if he couldn't start. I mean, the amount of times I was watching Lazio expecting Immobile to do something. And there was, there's a reason for that. There's a specific on, reason. I bought him uh, in fantasy football. Ah, <laughs> I, have, I have ruined careers. <laughs> In the past four or five seasons, literally ruined. I, I had Iguain last season. Look where Iguain's now. So oh, well, there you go. You know. No, yeah, no, because I think it was uh, the, the Coppa Italia semi-final against Milan, and I, I can't remember if, if he got taken off directly for Caicedo. But when Caicedo came on, and I think Caicedo's rubbish as well, um, he changed. He almost he changed the game. He looked. He was so much more effective than Immobile, which is something you wouldn't have said. Well, you certainly wouldn't have said it last season. Um, and I just wonder if uh, if there's a reason that Immobile has been so it, poor. First thing I'd say is that it's not been this season, it's been this year. So up until the turn of the year, he was still having a very good season. And he's ended the season with 19 goals, I think. and 15 in Serie A. So. Yeah, yeah, in all competitions. And that actually puts him... It's quite funny, I, I saw some stats of the... The Lazio top scorers over the Lotito era. Number one was Immobile last season. Number two was Immobile in his, in his first season. And number three is Immobile this season, joint with Tommaso Rocchi a few years ago. Mm. So this season, by his standards, has been pretty poor. And he has been very bad this year um, in the last few months. But, you know, it's, it's only regarded as being this huge disappointment because of the massively high standards he's set in the last two and a half years before then. So I think that... I wouldn't write him off at all. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not writing him um, off at all. I'm just saying it's like, when I've seen him, I think last season, watching him, um, it, it, would, it would make a difference and you would kind of notice him a lot more. Whereas this season, watching him, it's almost as if he's, he's invisible quite a lot of the time. It's just the difference in terms of like the impact it has on games. And also, really the way understand. Lazio have been playing. They've, hmm. they've been playing differently, having an extra... Um, quality player like Correa, Luis Alberto and Milinkovic, rather they, they're playing less on the counter this season, I feel, and more uh, actually with the players passing the ball. And I think perhaps Immobile was penalised uh, in terms of that as well. Obviously, Alistair, you'd know better because you've seen every single game. But because well, I have... How has he seen every single football. game, Vieri? Don't do, do this. How do, you, how do you know that? What I've I was watching last. No, but how does he know that? How has he seen every game? Has he watched it on the TV? He wants you to say the hashtag. Um, the away games he was probably watching on the TV. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Right. right. Okay. Very good. Very good, Vieri. Um, right. We're 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 running out of time, so I want to quickly get on to some of the other teams. Um, Torino. Torino had a great season. Almost made the Champions League for like a week. Um, one of the best defensive records in the league. Walter Mazzari has done great. Sirigu Inkulu, Armando Izzo, um, Conor Clancy. Belot? Well, yeah, Belotti. I think Belotti has not been the best either. But yeah, Conor Clancy, Torino, talk to, talk to us about them. You've oh, well. Them? Walter Mazzari did Walter Mazzari things, didn't he? He came in, made them really hard to beat, and they've got enough quality in that team to create a few chances going forward. You mentioned some of their good defensive players, but you criminally overlooked, for me, their best player this season in midfield. Um, I can't say his first name, but Matek. 
Um, he's mm. so good. Well, I was wanting you to do that, you see. Oh, okay. Ansaldi was the best player for me. See, I, thought, was... I thought Itzo was their best player. Or the Garcini. <laughs> but Itzo looked better because he had Mate in front of him. So he could ah, be that right, little right. bit more headless. Right, you know, because right. he's not the most calm of defenders, Itzo. Uh, but he was very, very good. Um, they've just had a lot of individuals who have kind of stepped above their normal level this season. Even up front, we've, we've had Belotti. Matsari and Falke have had their problems. Um, I, I've gone completely blank on the boy's name. Begins with a B. Berenger. No? Berenger, yes. Berenger. That's him. He's, he's fantastic. Mm, he's yes. so good. And he's, he works really, really well on that team because they don't always have too many opportunities to actually move forward. But when they do, he chooses the right pass. Whereas Falke can obviously sometimes be a little bit too greedy, a little bit too selfish. Simone Zaza. Not the most intelligent of footballers, but Berenger always chooses the right option when he moves forward. And I think you've been quite harsh on Belotti, though, because I think his role this year has been very different. Whereas before, he's yeah, just been honestly to get for Belotti, it's almost exactly the same thing as Immobile. To be perfectly mm-hmm. honest, um, they're, they're obviously being played in a different way, and just in terms of their, for me, their impact on the game hasn't been what it was in previous seasons. I think um, that's definitely true in the final third, but every time I've seen well, Torino this year... That's what you bloody want him to do. But, yeah, but Belotti's been him great. Having Don't touch Belotti. Him having <laughs> the captaincy is like weighed on him a little bit because he feels more obliged to get back. So, so often you see him in midfield now trying to take the ball forward himself, and that's not... Mazzari wants him to do set. that as well. Like, Mazzari wants Belotti to work really, really hard, and I think he's scored a fair amount of goals considering how hard he was working. He's always been playing for nine... It's a, I think it's a similar criticism you can or praise you can give Chiesa, they're always in the game. They're always fighting. They're always mm, trying to create yeah, yeah. something. They never switch off. And I think that's, that's not easy to find in a lot of, of, uh, of relatively young players. They might lose something in the final third, but the work rate was, was unbelievable. Whereas I think Immobile was actually switched off for a lot of the season. I think Belotti was always very, very focused and in the game. And he was one of those four or five key players for Torino, even more so being the captain. Yeah, we well, got 15 goals in Serie A, same as Immobile, so... I'm it's not like, bad, they're, is it? They're, they're the same. It's a lot better than last season. <laughs> well, yeah, but... You, you want them to get a wee bit more, but regardless, it doesn't take away from Torino. Can yeah. we give Ola Aina some credit too? Great know, right? player. Yeah, I great. think Ola Aina's been very, very good, and it, it's not often the case when a player comes over from English football that they, they do well in another country, but he's been amazing. He's really just bought into everything that's happening there. Following and he's in uh, Joe Hart's footsteps. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Immersing himself in the culture, really buying into Italian way of living. But um, no, I think it's been really good. And obviously, I think two of you, Vieri and Dov, have both spoken to him this season and he spoke about how much he was loving it here. So it'd be nice to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was, uh, he's just always been very focused, uh, never complained about the fact he was perhaps playing a bit less sometime. Mm. Um, I think he's had a great impact. And I, I can see why Torino want to hold on to him. And he's the perfect replacement, plays both sides uh, for, uh, you know, you can replace the Silvestri and Saldi. Honestly, I'd give him a good 8 out of 10. for his season. The, the, yeah, the, the, one of the uh, best answers to these questions was, um, it, it was asked, oh, what, what is it like when you have to switch sides, playing for a left wing back or a right wing back? And his answer was, yeah, I just have to change the foot. Uh, <laughs> like, Football is really a simple game. <laughs> Um, 
right, I was Alice. just going to add, as as Lazio found out last weekend, he's got a got a tasty long throw on him as well, which which I always like in a player. It's an underrated part of the game. I like <laughs> good long throw. There you go. Right, uh, Sam Doria. Um, they flirted with European football for a wee bit this season, but really. Uh, any time anybody mentions Sampdoria this season, you just talk about Fabio Quagliarella. So, unless anybody's got anything to say about the team in general, we'll, we'll talk about Quagliarella in a second. Um, they're the anti-Torino, aren't they? Torino are reliable, not always the most fun to watch. Sampdoria tend to be fun to watch, but they're not very reliable. And they lasted a little bit longer this season than they usually do, but mm. in the end it was still just... I think it's do. quite clear they don't they don't really want European football. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's a problem with the, their style of play or more likely the fact that you know that the president doesn't care too much about actually getting to Europe because they've always switched off in the past couple of years when they get to February March and then it just it's just a matter of all right we'll make you win just make sure Qualiarella scores a couple too all right and then that's the the deal they make with with all the other teams Qualiarella's been scoring some you can't say something like that about Italian football. Of course you people can, go crazy. True. No, no. I'm obviously, I'm obviously joking, and and it's a bit extreme. Allegedly, Vieri. Allegedly. Allegedly, but <laughs> there is a coincidence in which Sampdoria have been losing pretty much every week in the past two months, and Qualiera has been scoring every week in the past two months. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> there you go. Right, um, Vieri, Fiorentina. Quickly, how crap are Fiorentina? Fiorentina have been the most overrated team this season. But they're young. They're exciting. They've never been exciting. They're only young. Uh, they don't have a midfield. They have one midfielder that can be considered a midfielder because Eddie I don't Wilson. think Eddie Mielsen, Gerson, uh, Benassi are actually footballers. Uh, they're just there. And that was Vertu. And even him was... Be- I mean, the moment he was sold to Napoli a couple of, uh, of months ago, basically stopped playing... The only player that deserves praise, I think, throughout, the only two players are Pizzella and Chiesa. Uh, the rest, it's, you know, it's an absolute mess on every level. Coach, there was no, no reason to change Pioli, and everything got worse well, you since. you didn't have respect, Vieri. Were you not listening? Ah, come on. I mean, yeah, right, okay. obviously, he, he did that. I understand why he did it, but I don't know why the club attacked him for no real reason. Um, for the last couple of years and you see that uh, week in week out so yeah I think it was already quite a miracle to make it to the Coppa Italia semi-final and if you probably you know if Fiorentina hadn't beaten Roma hadn't played against that kind of of team like Roma who's able under Di Francesco to lose by by six goals you'd be talking about a team who'd be knocked out in the quarterfinals of the Coppa rather than reaching the semi-finals and the risk of, of being relegated became quite clear towards the end as well. Just a terrible, terrible season. I mean, the essence of a mediocre team uh, that falls downwards more and more into the risk of actually going to Serie B. Can I, uh, can I just throw a Fiorentina-flavoured question at you guys? The, uh, quite a lot's been made of the fact that this is the youngest team in the top five leagues in Europe and so on. Do you think there's anything to the fact that having such youth in a team has been part of the reason that they've failed when they've been, I suppose, up against it, doing well when they got the wind in their sails and then when they've got difficulties, they've not really stood up to it. But when did Fiorentina do well? I mean, well, honestly, the, the, the start of the season, they were they were definitely being talked about as a Europa League contender. Uh, but that was definitely. just wrong. That's because that's people weren't watching the games. They were just 
talking about, I mean, you can only do so much on the counter constantly. And the moment Chiesa slowed down only just slightly, like you could tell, I think, from the start that, the, the, that Fiorentina was being dominated by other teams very, very often. So they, they managed what? I think Fiorentina managed 12 points in the first five games, which was obviously a great tally in terms of results. But in terms of performances, you could tell that wasn't going to last very much. And then Fiorentina ended up the season drawing 17 matches. You know, that means the team is just nothing great and nothing bad either. And going to the youth question, uh, what's, the, what's good about having a very young team if the players aren't, aren't good enough? You know, that's just, it feels like it's an excuse more than anything. You know, we've built a very young team because the, the fans want a young team, the media want a young team, when really uh, it was a bad team and we've Fiori- seen it again. Can I ask you a question? Because what do Fiorentina fans actually expect? Because obviously they shouldn't be battling relegation. But what is the level of expectation there? I just think a bit more clarity from uh, the ownership. Is, it's, it's really as simple as that. The Della Valle came in uh, when Fiorentina were in Serie C2, as it was called at the time, uh, in 2004, actually 2003. Since then, they've obviously been building on it and getting... Fiorentina reached the Champions League even 10 years ago. But then they've always been talking about kind of making that final step. Uh, they even said back in 2008, you know, within 10 years, we'll win the Scudetto. And Fiorentina haven't even gone, gotten close. I'm not saying they want Fiorentina to actually win silverware. But if you tell me, as a fan, you know, uh, we will try and win stuff and you don't then execute the plan. Uh, that's, I think, what, what's, uh, what Fiorentina fans would like. Just a bit more clarity. If we really aren't going to fight for anything, just tell us, look, this team, um, the aim is, to, is, is a comfortable safety. Not... Like at the start of last season, the aim was, was declared as being uh, Europe, when it was clearly the case that Fiorentina weren't good enough to even fight for Europe. So I think that's, that's the real issue. Then you can get, you know, random games and make it all the way to the, to the Coppa Italia semifinal. And, you know, perhaps if you're a bit more lucky, you can get past Atalanta. It's, it's a knockout competition. But I think what you do over the course of 38 games really tells you um, what Fiorentina have been worth. So telling the fans you want something and then not doing anything about it, I think, has really let the fans down. And that's why they've been in such a big protest against the De La Valle. So just a bit more clarity from the ownership would do the job. That's it. Right. The job, the fans want us to move on because... (laughs) I could be talking about it forever. Yeah, we know you can. You you tend to to talk quite a lot of the area, but that's fine. We like you for it. Um, Right. Players. Um, We skirted over one. Uh, the best player of the season has been Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role In a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f***? 
are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, the, the official award is an absolute disgrace. <laughs> no, but I don't care about the award. Who's been the best player in Serie A? Quags. Quagliarella. There you go, Quagliarella. Very well done. No. Quagliarella. Come on. Right, so Quagliarella, he scored, what, 26 goals. Capo Canonieri took Sam Doria close to Europe. How good has he been? He's eternal. He's getting better every single year. And I don't really understand how. I guess the Sam Doria team just kind of play to his strengths. He doesn't have to do anything other than shoot, basically. Uh, he yeah, just he stands in well. the box and takes penalties. And it works very, very well for him. Yeah. Right, so who are you mourning then, Conor Clancy? Who has been the best player in Serie A this season? Everybody else says Qualiarella, but you're obviously being... I love Qualiarella, but I don't think he's been the best player in Serie A. Well, who's been the best then? I don't know, I'll just go out with another old person and say Big Bruno Alves. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think he wasn't even the best defender. I think Acerbi had a better season. Exactly. Acerbi, Acerbi had a better team. Bruno Alves was a one-man team and he finished 14th this year. Acherby was on his own at the back quite often. I'm sure Alistair can, can, can <laughs> confirm that. Well, just him and Lucas against the world, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that um, I've been amazed by Bruno Alves' success in Serie A, to be honest, because I, I saw quite a bit of him at Rangers last season, and he was not very impressive in Scottish football. So a year more um, to his age moving into a league like Serie A, I've thought that he might have a kind of influential dressing room role more than a smashing free kicks into the top corner role. I thought the so very I've been quite same. impressed by him, yeah. Even when he was at Cagliari, he wasn't very good. But every I've seen Parma, what is it, 18 times this season? And every time I see him, I just end up watching him. Just on the TV so, so good. How have you seen him um, often? I haven't watched Parma once on television. Where have you seen Parma? Not Has it been in the pub? Games. It's been um, usually at the Tardini, sometimes no at way. San Siro, no sometimes in other places too. Um, how, how, how do you manage to do these things? It's, it's, it's quite handy living a 10-minute walk from the stadium, to be honest. But yeah. uh, No, Bruno Alves is fantastic. And if Parma didn't have him, they'd have been relegated by December. And I know Gervinio gets credit, but he switched off in November. And all he did was run very fast. Bruno Alves organized everything. He just he made Alessandro Bastoni look like a, a brilliant defender. They've got Luigi Seppe playing behind them, so obviously that's not ideal. And he managed to make Luigi Seppe look good sometimes too. He's amazing. Best player in Serie A. Who else? What other players have we forgot? 
Fabian Ruiz, Fabian Ruiz was uh, was one of the the best if you consider. Obviously, one of the better like, midfielders, yeah. Like, like you said, that's not really a high bar. Um, no, but he was yeah. quite a surprise. I mean, they spent they spent thirty million for him, so that's a lot of money. But mm. you know, nobody expected him to to have that kind of impact. So I think yeah. he deserves a mention. Um, and you've you've got to throw in some of the Atalanta boys, don't you? Zapata, oh, Gomez. We've had enough of them, Alistair. We've the the problem with that, though, on a serious note, is when you start naming one of them, they all just come because the team is the yeah, priority. Yeah, it's more of a team effort. Actually, yeah. there's one because uh, me and Vieri had an argument about this. Hans Hattibor. He's amazing this year. Do you know he's it's unbelievable? He's the only he's defender in my, he's, that's scored he's, five he's goals in and five assists. I don't know what's happened to him this year. I, I can just assume that it's Gasparini because. When he came in after Conte left, he was awful. And I didn't understand why he was playing ahead of Timo Castagna, but he kept playing, kept playing, kept playing. And this year, he's just been so reliable, so good. He's a little bit of a scumbag too, which is always helpful. And the rotations have been on the left where Gossens and Castagna have swapped. But Hatabor is, along with Darun and Freuler, so, so important in that midfield line in front of the back three. But yeah, he's amazing, fantastic. There we go. Um, Christoph Piontek. Yeah, he deserves a mention. Come I on, he was about Piontek. Um, he was good at Genoa. He he. <laughs> he was quite good at Milan. It was it was started well at Milan, but then became a victim of Milan, um, the same way that uh, Higuain was a victim of Milan. Because or Muriel, a victim of Fiorentina. Yeah, exactly. But I think the way he burst onto the scene was great. Although uh, I'll move. I'm gonna. I'm gonna segue this brilliantly in a second um, I think with Genoa he got them up to like 14th before he left and then obviously after he went um, they just collapsed um, although watching Genoa he wasn't the player at Genoa who impressed me most it oh was I know who Clancy. it is who was I it? know who it is it's because it's the same for me it's big Christian Kouama yeah he, I thought he's he, amazing he was brilliant he, he, he was the one that impressed me most for Genoa I thought he, he did really well a tricky wee player, deceptively strong because he looks like a skinny wee giraffe, um, but he's he's actually pretty good. Um, so yeah, for the for the kind of the Genoa pair, those two did well. Um, Gio Cancelo as well at the start of the season, he was the best right back um, from in the world September till about December, and then decided he was crap. <laughs> Cellini had a had a good season, I think. If you think of uh, his impact in the Champions League too, and he over played twenty four matches in Serie A. Koulibaly is and Skriniar obviously um, their status. Francesco Caputo as well for Empoli. Yeah, big Chicho, but he missed too many penalties, and that's because I had him at fantasy football too. <laughs> so this is your fault. It's not his fault, Vieri. It's yours. It is my fault. Guys. Oh, guys, right, we're missing the big one. Best midfielder in Serie A, Nicola Barella. Uh, yeah. Mm. Mm. He's been he's been good. Come His on. goalkeeper's been better. Cranio, let's be honest. Yeah, Brozovic. If you, if we want to mention a good midfielder who's been, you know, all right. Yeah, but Brozovic thinks he's ten times better than he is. So that, that doesn't really matter, does it? It does. <laughs> One of the players that's impressed me most this season, further down the league, and if you're talking about importance to his team as well, I think he's right up there. Is uh, Ben Acer at, at, uh, Ooh, at M- yes. Oh, he's, everyone he's in that Empoli midfield. Yeah, but he's for 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 his age. I mean, he's twenty one years old. He looks like he's been playing the game for like a decade. I mean, he's so composed, really good on the ball, good at set pieces. I mean, he's a serious player. I'd be amazed if he's with them in Serie B next season because mm. 
he is totally a Serie A quality player. But totally agree. And, and there's not many registers in Serie A in this day and age. And he's definitely someone I could see in, a, in one of the top clubs very soon. Well, you mentioned Vieri there, but uh, I don't know if people heard Krunic. And Krunic. the other one, who I liked, uh, Traore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the two, they're absolutely brilliant. I, I love yeah. the wee kind of uh, production line they've got, they've got going there. Um Right. Chiesa, I think, deserves a mention too. Mm -hmm. I, I expected him to score more, but he he has been one of the few. The Paul, there, there's players. one. The Paul's another Paul, one. Absolutely. He single-handedly saved Udinese from relegation. Um, so there you go. And right, well, finally, we'll do one more for Conor Clancy, three-time MVP, Federico oh, the Beast right. Santander. Single-handedly oh. saved Bologna. Single-handedly saved Bologna. <laughs> did you, Almost did you guys Cairo. notice that Bologna started being good when he stopped playing? Funny that, isn't mm. it? No, they, they started being good when Cesar Mihailovic took over. That, he's yeah, probably the one because he looked start. at Federico Santander and said, this man is a lump who can't play football. I think I'll do other things. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, well, actually, Mihailovic, the impact he had on Bologna was brilliant. I think they were one of, if not the best team um, since March. And Do you think he could leave this summer? To go where? I don't know. Back There's going to be a lot of jobs going, though. That's you. <laughs> it, it, would they, they be, don't like it would him, have to Alistair. be one of the Roman teams. They don't like him. They're, they're beautiful. No, it's not. It's the police in Lazio that don't yeah, like it was, him. Yeah, yeah it was, that was <laughs> false, false fake news. That was. Fake, it was fake news because we thought it was the fans and then it turned out to be the police. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I, I, I was reading that Roma were interested in Sinisa. Oh, I imagine. Oh, that'd be funny. Well, he is one of the, he's one of the few players who's played for both sides of the road. Yeah, game. exactly. So he could put it off, and he likes doing that as well because obviously he played at Inter and coached Milan. So he can be like, "Right, well, I'm going back to Roma." Um, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be surprised if he kind of burnt the bridges with Lazio because he is a fan favorite. And when when the Lazio's last home game of the season was against Bologna, and all the fans were singing songs for him and so on, so uh, I'd be amazed. But you never you know. Right. Um, obviously. As I have alluded to very subtly throughout the duration of this podcast, we are hashtag FF at the games because we go to games. All four of us are at a stadium every weekend. Um, what has been the fa your favourite goal this season that you've seen? Oh, right. why didn't you tell me about this beforehand? Well, because it's your own fault. Um, Vieri, what's the favourite goal you've seen? <laughs> oh my God, it's it's uh, it's hard. Obviously, in terms of aesthetics, Muriel's free kick against Inter is up there with the best. Um, and even, even Vertu's free kick last minute, because I think when that penalty was given, that was clearly not a handball. Um, it was one of the few times where everyone in the press stand completely disagreed with a referee decision. Everyone was, was uh, there to just say, look, it's not a penalty. And then, obviously... It was given. So that I think that match, that Fiorentina Inter 3-3, uh, had a lot in it. And that free kick by Muriel um, was just amazing. What about you, Alistair? What's been happening? I've, I've, written, down, I've written down three that come to mind. First was one of the first goals of the season, Immobile against Napoli. If you remember, one touch, he turned, left two defenders yeah. behind him, curled a left-footed shot into the top corner. Uh other, another one, Nicolo Zagnolo's first goal for Roma against Sassuolo, first Serie A goal, where he basically fainted yeah, and sat, sat down the defender and the keeper <laughs> before knocking in. But my favourite goal of the season, which Connor and Dov were both there to witness, oh, shut uh, up. 
Korea winning Cup Italia final, single-handedly burning Remo Freuler and then tucking it in after leaving about three Atalanta players on the ground. What a goal. <laughs> Clancy, have you thought of one? Or um, I've got I... a little list because I've got my spreadsheet of all the games I've been to this season, so all I'm right. looking at them. Right, we don't um, need a list. We just need one. Don't be greedy. Uh, no, I can't give you one. I have to give you three. <sighs> right, go on then. Right, one of the goal of the, goals of the season, Gervinho against Cagliari oh, in mm-hmm. round five when he ran the whole pitch, beat the whole Cagliari team and then nearly fluffed the shot or hit the post <laughs> and went off the other side. Uh, then there was Luis Muriel against, who did he score? Uh, Sampdoria. Sampdoria. He scored two amazing goals. And a personal favourite, Papu Gomez against Inter for 4-1 because the fans were olaying every single pass and then Gomez got it 25 yards out and just said, I'm going to put this into the top corner mm-hmm. and he did and everyone went mad. So mm-hmm. there's my three. There you go. Um, there are only a couple that spring to mind when I thought of this. The one is... Uh... Uh, for Parma against Inter way back in September oh, yeah I was Marca. there too yeah. uh, that was a good goal but I'm going to beat Oli is uh, because yeah. the, the best goal I've seen this season was at the Stadio Luigi Ferraris when Fabio Quagliarella did that silly back heel against Napoli yeah that was amazing <laughs> I was literally in line with it I'm like Jesus Christ what the hell's happened I think How I was be? I was still living with you at this point and was that the same time I had been to Parma Juve and we both just went home and had a little Possibly, yeah, but that was amazing. That was amazing. The, the problem, the, I think, the only goal of all the best goals the season we've missed was being Rolando Madragora's goal for Udinese mm. against Genoa because Udinese is too far away. Yeah, that Quagliarella goal feels like last season to me. That feels like <laughs> so long. I think it was the third of September or something, right? Yeah, it was, it was very, very early. early. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember, I think it was the same game. Because in that game, there was like a thunderstorm, like in the middle of the first half, where all the water and all of Liguria just fell onto the pitch. And they had to stop playing for 10-15 minutes, which made getting the, the, the train home very interesting. <laughs> I need to run. I don't like to run. Um, have we got any favourite games that hashtag FF at the games has been to? Yeah, been, uh, yeah a few. Go yeah, on, there then, are. Fieri. Well, I mean, Fiorentina-Roma 7-1. Oh. Uh, Fiorentina-Inter 3-3, for, just because of all the drama. I mean, Inter should have won that game. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to mention this. Let me have another thought, but those were pretty epic. Connor? Um, Fiorentina Sampdoria 3 3. Uh, Parma Sampdoria 3 3 or 3 2. I can't even remember. There's been too many games. Mm. Inter or Atalanta Inter 4 1. And there's one more that I can't think of right now, which is frustrating. Oh, Parma Juve early on in the season. That was a lot of fun. Because Cristiano Ronaldo attempted a bicycle kick, missed the ball, and the whole stadium laughed at him together. <laughs> what about Alistair? What about in the city of Rome? Well, a cup Italia final, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'd also throw in one that wasn't in the city of Rome, which was Napoli Juve. Because oh, well, that, well, in terms of atmosphere, utter hatred, and drama in a football match, it had everything. Uh, Juve 2 0 up at half time, then Pjanic got sent off. Zielinski hit the post. Insigne missed a penalty in the last minute. It was that was a great game. Mm. Yeah, there you go. All good. For me, I have to add. Uh, obviously, perhaps it wasn't for FIF, but I think Champions League um, following Napoli was pretty epic. It was as well, FIF, and I think the San Paolo. Yeah, always. Yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Can we give? Yeah, shouts I, I, for I wasn't the on, on FIF duty, but um, 
I have to I have to say that San Paolo on a Champions League night really does uh, have that amazing atmosphere it's talked about and it's a shame it's not like that every week um but I mean I'm, you went to see Juventus in the Champions League it's mm. it's just that oh, extra level as well yeah, I think yeah yeah I think uh, the, all the stadiums that they almost take their Champions League routine from the San Paolo um, they never used to do that but then yeah. since Napoli started doing it they've all started um for me, best game of the season was Inter Empoli. That is the most fun I've had at a oh. football game all season. It was hilariously brilliant. Um, yeah, that, that, that was the I was just like, this is the best game. This is so yeah. good. It had everything. Um, to be fair, actually, Milan. Well, the derby was about Milan good. too. Yeah, the derbies are good, but the derbies are always good. But this just had that. It was almost. It was like it was almost kind of like a joke, but serious at the same time. So yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Um, any kind of random bits and pieces that we've not uh, worst game of the season can we do Fiorentina Genoa I had two horrors right go on pa- tell Parma Frosinone nil nil and Parma Bologna nil nil and nothing happened in either of those games it was horrendous they were horrendous see this Fiorentina like... Genoa and Fiorentina <laughs> Bologna as well was Montella's first game in charge terrible <laughs> That's the thing. People people think, oh yeah, you're at the you're at the they got all these games. It must be so much fun. But see some of the horrendous <laughs> matches you have to put up with uh, throughout a season. It's not fun. It's particularly bad when you go to three games in the weekend, and the third game on a Sunday night, when you know you're not going to get home until the next morning, is mm. horrible, mm. and it just makes the whole weekend a lot worse. Yeah, I think. I think- the lucky thing of actually having the, the before and after is that perhaps you can get some some interesting things from the press conferences or just the way that the footballers mm. talk, what they say. Uh, so in terms of that, for example, Fiorentina-Bologna and Fiorentina-Genoa were dreadful matches. But in both cases, the first one was Montella's first game in charge. The last one was the last game of the season. So being there at the press conference, there was a lot going on. Um, so I think that's something I've definitely noticed. Mm. Uh, obviously, what you get from players and coaches after the game, the news, just going around the stadium uh, about, you know, in, for, for Fiorentina Genoa, I was talking, everyone's talking about Fiorentina's potential new ownership. Uh, all those things uh, kind of give you a different experience, obviously, being at the game. You're all wrong about this. <laughs> the worst. The worst game of the season by an absolute country mile was Lazio 1, Kievo 2. No, you no, had three no. goals. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> you had three no, goals no. and Vignano. For a personal <laughs> perspective, more than it is. No, no, we're not that having was... that. Not having that. <laughs> probably, probably the worst game, which I, I, I'm assuming none of us have watched or will watch, would have been Kievo Frosinone from the last day of the weekend. I think nobody's actually been... seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not happened. Did that actually happen? Vignano? I don't <laughs> think they played that game. <laughs> there we go. Um, right, uh, quickly, what has this season showed us and one sentence Cristiano Ronaldo is not enough to win the Champions League there you go alright what has the season shown us Connor uh, coaching makes a difference Gasparini Atalanta right and Mazzari with Torino right and Alistair what has this season shown us the big teams in Serie A aren't very good <laughs> <laughs> my one is going to kind of be on the same lines this season has shown us that Serie A is just a crap competition to be perfectly honest oh what oh, is don't pretend it isn't oh. it is rubbish nah, um, Serie A is amazing the Coppa Italia is terrible no guys Serie A is like uh, oi, oi, oi. Uh, the, the, the Coppa Italia is a great competition what are you talking about um, Serie A is like the godfather 
when when he says that every time I try and get out, but they pull me back in. It's like that. That you want to go like I want to go and watch Bundesliga or La Liga, but you're like I'm not have to watch cable against Bologna because that's much more exciting. Uh, Serie A's good. It's like it's dirty. It's grimy. The oh. Bundesliga is polished. Oh Christ! Right. Uh, moving on from that. Um, last thing is, and we're going to rush through these, is the Forza Italian Football Awards 2019. The votes are in. The votes have been counted. They have been verified by independent adjudicators. The player of the season chosen by the people, Fabio Quagliarella, by an absolute country mile, ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo and Christophe Piontek. The team of the season, Atalanta, by yes. an absolute country mile, behind Juventus and Spal. Behind. They haven't won any silverware, though. Yeah, they've won nothing, Conor Clancy. You have Correct. Um, coach of the season, by an absolute country mile, Giampiero Gasparini. Correct. of Allegri and Leonardo Semplici of Spal. Our readers are intelligent people. Yeah, they are very. Goal of the season, by an absolute country mile, Fabio Quagliarella's goal for Sampdoria against Napoli, ahead of Gervinho's against Cagliari and... Mandragora's goal for Indonesia against Genoa. So there you go. Right, this is where we're going to get some controversy, lads. Signing of the season. I, I think this is the winner of this is a bit cheating. But the signing of the season, Christoph Piontek for Genoa and Milan. I think that's a cheat because he signed for two teams. So he got, he's going to get two goals at signing of the season. That makes it more difficult for him though because he's impressed at two new clubs. Yeah, which is there you a- go. So he, he got that just over Cristiano Ronaldo and Duvan Zapata. How's Cristiano Ronaldo getting in the top three? What difference? Yeah, I agree. Serie A. Well, he he won Serie A. He's the best player of the season. They've gotten they've gotten worse this year. When he's yeah, well, we've spoken about that already. Um, Right, the worst signing of the season. This one was close, but there were two candidates. The winner is Gonzalo Higuain, just ahead of Robin Olsen at Roma, Um, and then in third place was Javier Pastore. At Roma as well. So that was fun for Roma. Uh, the losers of the season, and this was a very obvious one, were just the general racist fans uh, all over Syria. <laughs> that wins every year, doesn't yeah. it? Well, it's, it's always there. That's the thing. We have to put this in every year for a loser of the season. It's like you, there's definitely a problem. Uh, but that was ahead of uh, Mauro and Wanda Icardi and then Massimiliano Allegri's Champions League version. So there you go. The veteran player of the That's season. Right. I don't even know why I bothered doing this one because Fabio Quagliarella won it ahead of absolutely everybody. <clears throat> Daniele De Rossi was second and Sergio Fluckery came third. Yes. Sp- Spal are like third in almost everything. They're Spal really, deserve a little bit of credit to be fair. They do. They've had a good We team. haven't spoken about Spal a single right, minute. Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> one of the best. Right, Vieri, you've got one minute to talk about Spal. Go. Spal have impressed for doing exactly what they intended to do and uh, being consistent from beginning to end, building on what they had done last season under Leonardo Semplici, sticking with their coach from the start, even though there's been some difficult moments. They've added some good players in the summer, and so the natural consequence was they achieved safety last season at the very end. This time they had a comfortable safety, and now they can only improve and Next year, if they do stick with Semplici, the aim will be to try and at least get closer to those European spots. They've so, done an amazing so job, everyone. Spal in the Champions the League. Owners. 
Right, well, that, that's, Vieri's just relegated Spal, then, with go. that. Well, right. I'm annoyed, because Spal like us, they give us interviews, and they don't have to ask me for my name. Yeah, so, there you go. Like right. Young player of the season, Nicolo Zaniolo of Roma. He won that by quite a, a large amount. Behind him was Moise Ken, and then Gianluigi Donnarumma, the best young players according to the people. And Ken then, was good for three weeks. Yeah, the big one, the the one everybody has been waiting for, the Marco Materazzi Award for oh. Greatness. Oh. We've got a winner. Oh, Dov, no. Build the suspense a little bit. Because well, this is the big oh. one. Oh. Well, yeah, I could do sound effects. I will put sound effects in. The winner of the Marco Materazzi Award for Greatness is Marco Materazzi, everybody. What? Marco Materazzi. He's won it again. 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 The joy he gave Italians on the 9th of July 2006. See, he was he was sitting right beside the press box for De Rossi's final game. If you had told me, I could have given him an award in person. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't want to disturb what? Matarazzi. You, where you the <laughs> so there you go. That is, that's the awards. That's the season. Um, okay, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, if there's anything anybody uh, wants to say, say it now or forever oh. hold your peace. Of a question. You Do you guys know exactly how many games you were at this season? Oh, I need to count later. I've been counting as it went on, so I didn't have to count at the end. Go on, and my, aim, my aim was I 50. I got to 57, which I'm very happy about. That's what happens when, you're, when you work here, Connor Clancy. You don't just sit and watch the TV. It is. There you go. I, know, I, I don't know an answer to your question either, um, but a lot. Too many, yeah, actually. And then we'll, we'll put it all together on FIR. Yeah, we, we, we might do. We might do. Um, right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Th- thank you for putting up with us for the entire season. Um, for, thank you for reading, social media and everything as well. Um, there's nothing else left for me to say. Thank you to Connor. Thank you to Alistair. Thank you to Vieri Capretta. Been a pleasure. Um, and that's it. I'll leave it there to everyone. Until next time.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.